Thank you, ladies. Let me invite your attention this morning to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're all familiar with the distinction between what is true and what is false. What is right, what is wrong. What is accurate, what is not. So, discussing and examining true versus false is not anything new. In John chapter 17, in the prayer of Jesus where he prays unto the Father, not the model prayer, but when Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed and said unto the Father in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So Jesus acknowledges, Jesus states very plainly that the word of God, is the truth. From the original language as it appears in its actual construction, Jesus says, the word, thy truth, is. And it's timeless. It's timeless because God is timeless. It's timeless because truth is timeless. Therefore, unless there is agreement with the word of God, there's only error. If there is no agreement with the Word of God, there's only false or erroneous thinking, false or erroneous logic, false or erroneous words, false and erroneous actions. If they do not agree with the Word of God. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13... Just a few verses, verses 4 through 8, God, by the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, describes the attributes and characteristics of love. Of love. There are four different words in the New Testament that are loosely translated or refer to love. And this one is the only one that ever has the definite article in front of it. The definite article, the. So it points out the love. The love as God is love. That's the reference because it is the love that God is. It is the Greek word agape. The Greek word agape. And it's always a reference to the divine love that God is. The divine love that God is. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8. There are 16 attributes of love. Not just any love. But the love that God is. There are 16 attributes or characteristics of love. That are given to us to teach us what this agape love truly is. You remember back when Brother Livingstone Lambert was with us, he preached a message out of 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, on the importance and the necessity and the growth of love in the church. That's because it's important, it's necessary, and it's something that we must learn to exemplify because after all, we are under command to be loving. Now, just because it's a command doesn't mean that we're going to do it. Because that's not how love works. But in John chapter 13 verse 34. Jesus said to the first assembly. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. 
Oh, by the way, that word love is agape. That you love one another because Jesus qualifies it by this, as I have been and will continue to be loving you. So you should love one another just like this. And by this, when you do this, when you learn to do this, you will give evidence of truly being my disciples. Listen close. Learning to love like Jesus does not make us weak. Learning to love like Jesus provides strength. Because it is His testimony. It is His testimony. After all, based on 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, if we have problems loving with one another, loving one another with the divine love that God is, how are we going to love God? We see one another. We've not seen God. So we need to learn the love of God so that we can learn how to love with the love of God. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as we reverence the reading of the Scriptures. Romans chapter 12, looking together, beginning in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, Give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with the good. Let us pray. Father, we come before you asking for your blessings upon the reading and the exposition of your word. Father, we pray that we will learn what we need to learn so that we might do what we need to do before you and testify of you every moment of every day. Father, teach us what we need to know about your love as we look into your word to learn it. Father, we ask these things and the forgiveness of our sins all in Jesus' righteous name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Since true love, the love God is, Agape. In the language, verse 9 reads, The love unhypocritical. That's all it says. The love unhypocritical. So since true love, agape, the love that God is, is not some mystical nor magical emotion, 
that just mysteriously appears and takes up residence in our hearts and minds, even after we're saved, even after we're baptized, even after we fellowship together within the assembly, since it doesn't just magically show up, it's something we've got to learn. And it's something that we need to learn what it is in order to learn how to exercise and express it relentlessly, tirelessly, so that it becomes effortless for us. It becomes a natural response. And it's not a natural response. It's just not. For example, in John chapter 21, there's a series of questions and answers. The questions come from Jesus. Well, the answers too. But the answers that He asked are to the Apostle Peter. After the resurrection, after the resurrection, Jesus is with the, 12, with the eleven because there's only the eleven. Judas has not yet been replaced according to the chronology. And so Jesus is with the first assembly. And so he asked Peter three questions. Peter gives him three responses. And we don't have time to go into all of this, but I just want to show you one thing about this. Two of the three times in the questions that Jesus asked, and the questions all appear the same. Peter, do you love me? Two of the three times, Jesus, for the word love, uses the word agape. Te agape in the language. Or hey agape in the language. The love. Peter, do you love me? All three times, Peter answers, all three times Peter answers, he answers in the affirmative, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses a different word all three times. He's consistent, but he uses a different word than Jesus because he uses the word phileo. Lord, I have a strong affection for you. Now that's translated love, but it's not the love Jesus is asking about. So the third question from Jesus is to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you phileo me? He switches to the word that Peter has been using. And Peter's response is consistent. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So what does that mean? What point, Tom, are you trying to make with this? Peter, although exposed to the agape love of God in Jesus Christ, had not yet learned it. Didn't mean he didn't believe it. He had not yet learned it. He's saved. He's baptized. He's in fellowship. He's a follower. He's a disciple. But he's not yet learned the love of God. To learn its characteristics, to learn its attributes, and to learn how to openly show and share it. We must learn the love of God. We're exposed to it freely. We're exposed to it graciously by the grace of God, mercifully by the mercy of God, relentlessly by the compassion and the long-suffering of God, and God tirelessly 
shows his love to us just as he has shared it with the whole world. He put it on display for the world to witness. He took the time to write it so that we could learn it. So we won't learn it all this morning or in the coming weeks, but we need to start. Now, I'm not insulting you. I'm not saying you don't know the love of Jesus. I'm just saying that obviously, no matter how much we love, we can always grow. We can always grow. Now, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very shallow illustration, but it, and it's very personal. But I'll share it anyway. When Tammy and I got married 45 years ago, 45 and a half years ago, I really thought I knew what it was. To love her. But you know over time. It has changed. It has grown. It has developed. It has matured. So however much we know of the love of God. It can grow. And it can mature. It can develop. And it can become tireless and relentless. And all consuming. In every aspect of our lives. So that's the reason. As we study through this. Just as the reason Paul wrote it to the church at Rome, they needed it, we need it. We always need it. So, verse 9, Romans chapter 12, let love be without dissimulation. So the inspired record, the scriptures, is a definitive declarative statement. It's not a suggestion of a possibility, but rather the proclamation of an undeniable reality. Let love, let love. Paul has used this same grammatical construction all throughout the book of Romans. Let love. In other words, decide this is important. Decide this is worth pursuing because it can be pursued. It should be pursued. And so he says, let love or the love without dissimulation. Probably not a word. I'm just venturing a wild guess. Probably not a word you've used today. Dissimulation. Not common in our daily vocabulary, but it qualifies the existence and the exercise of the love, of the agape. Hey, agape, as it appears in the language, the definite article, and it is to be etched indelibly in our hearts and our minds and our lives because Paul writes this to the church at Rome. There's the qualifications. Without dissimulation within the body. Without dissimulation. Now look, the love that God is always exists without hypocrisy. Because it's His love. That doesn't mean that we always duplicate it or exercise it or share it without hypocrisy. Even within the body. So we've got to learn that. But His love is always without hypocrisy. So until love exists... Without dissimulation in our hearts and in our minds, how can it be accurately exercised and expressed? We've got to learn it. We've got to learn that the love of God is void of dissimulation. Now, dissimulation in any form is the product of our own labor. Dissimulation, hypocrisy. You think about what you know of the extent of God's creation. 
There's no hypocrisy. There's no hypocrisy. For example, what is it that hippopotamuses have that no other animals have? You know the answer. Baby hippopotamuses. No other animal has them. There's no hypocrisy. There's no hypocrisy in all of God's creation because there's no hypocrisy in God. If there's hypocrisy in God, then there's hypocrisy in the love that God is. The only hypocrisy that exists is within us. It's ours. We need to own it, confess it. People tell us about it, tell us about it, and that it exists in our lives all the time. I ain't going to go to church down there, a bunch of hypocrites. Okay. I'll admit that. We're hypocrites. There's a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us. But I'm guessing you're not going to go to Kroger and shop there. You're not going to go to Lowe's. You're not going to go to Sam's. You're not going to go to Walmart. There's hypocrites there. I mean, if you're going to get an excuse, get a good one. <laughs> but make sure it holds water. Just not hanging out with hypocrites. I mean, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not fundamentally sound. So, dissimulation. Dissimulation is translated in numerous translations of the Scripture as hypocrisy. An actor on a stage playing the part of another so convincingly that the audience is convinced that that person is actually on the stage. Essentially, that's, that's it. But now, there are a couple of translations that translate this in a more affirmative way. I don't know that they do justice, but I'll share them with you just because, uh, even though I pick and choose translations, there are a couple of translations that say, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Our love must be genuine. Our love must be sincere in that it is the real thing. You know, Paul uses the, this same word, dissimulation, in its original form, when he writes his letter, he's actually used it numerous times. But one particular reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6, he uses the word unfeigned. Unfeigned. Peter also uses that same particular word as it's translated in the King James translation, unfeigned, unhypocritical. Without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. So, question number one. How do we learn this love? How do we learn this love? How do we, as those who have been born again by the grace of God, baptized by the church authority through the waters of immersion and, and entered into the covenant relationship whereby we have the privilege and the responsibility to walk with the Lord day by day? How do we learn the love of God? Obviously in His Word. So where should we go where should we go? Where should we visit? What should we read in order to learn the truth of the love of God? Well, without flipping a whole bunch of pages, why don't we just stay right here in the book of Romans? For example, Romans chapter 8. Not the whole chapter by any means. Just several verses beginning in verse 35. Because here's a question about the love of God. He agape. The love that God is. The divine love of God. And Paul begins it with a question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
And you know there's not an ounce of difference between the love of Christ and the love of God. Because they're one and the same. So the question could just as easily read, who shall separate us from the love of God? Context remains the same. Application remains the same. Here's the list of possibilities. Shall tribulation or distress? Persecution or famine? Nakedness or peril or sword? All those are pretty harsh circumstances. Oh, well, let me correct that. All of those are very harsh circumstances with which we are not familiar. We have no firsthand experience of these things. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. That culminates the harshness of these circumstances. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, verse 37 says, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us because I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. First things first. First thing we need to learn about the love of God in order to learn the love of God is God's faithfulness to His Word. God will keep His Word. God's faithful to His Word. He tells us that numerous times. He exhibits that as is recorded in the Scriptures. So we begin to learn the love of God by learning through trial. We learn through trial, through exercise, that God is dependable. And we learn to trust Him more than we trust ourselves. Now let me tell you something about yourself that you already know. It's going to shock you that I know this, but I know it. There's a, listen, there's a genius inside of you. I know that about you. There's a genius inside of you. But even with all your genius, you can't fix everything. You can't change hardly anything about your outward circumstances. You can't control the future. Think about it. Can't alter, can't undo the past. All I got right now. In five minutes from now, I will realize that sometime in the last five minutes, I will have made at least one mistake. Maybe even more. Maybe even more. So for all the genius that exists within us, we must learn to trust God more than we trust ourselves. Not, not for what he can do, not for, not for the financial fix, not for the, the, the political fix, not for the world fix, not, not for anything around us, within us. He can change me. He can change me from who I am to who he wants me to become.
But I've got to trust Him. I've got to trust Him enough to follow Him. And the only way I'm going to trust Him is if I believe He is dependable. The dependability of God is one of the things that Paul, by the leadership of the Spirit of God, emphasizes to the church at Rome when he asks the question, who can separate us from the love of God? You know, there's the question, who? But Paul never gives an answer, who, does he? He always talks about things, stuff, events, circumstances. Can these things? Nope. Can these things? Nope. Can that? The other? No. But will God ever stop us from walking away? No. No. But that doesn't mean He stops loving us. So who can separate us from the love of God? The obvious answer, only God can. And guess what? He's not going to. That's not within His nature. It's not part of... Because if God loves only under certain conditions, that contradicts love. Therefore, it's hypocritical. Mm -hmm. It's hypocritical. And God is not hypocritical. And since God is not hypocritical, His love is not hypocritical. So when Paul writes to the Roman assembly and says, the love without hypocrisy, that's to be understood. That it's supposed to be understood, learned, and then exhibited and expressed openly, relentlessly, tirelessly within the body. Matter of fact, there's the, the rest of chapter 12, there's a whole laundry list of things that, that demonstrate the presence and the exercise of this love. We'll get there eventually. Just not today. Let love be continually without, void of, absent from any and all hypocrisy. So as we pursue learning this and understand that the better we understand God, the better we know God, the better we learn God, the better we understand His love. It has no explanation. It defies explanation, does it not? I'm a sinner. I'm wretched. I, I'm everything that God is not. I, I'm 180 degrees out from who God is, but yet He loves me anyway. How do I know? Because I'm good? No. Because of how much money's in the bank or how much money's not in the bank? No. Because I show up every Sunday? No. Because He's God. And it's His love. And just as Jesus told Nicodemus, for God loved the world. Now, that word love in the King James translation, quite honestly, is, is somewhat erroneous in that it appears as past tense. God's love's never past tense, it's always present and active. God loves the world, always has. I understand we don't speak like that. To us, everything has a beginning and a conclusion. But not with God. How long has God loved the world? Well, before He ever created it. Because that's when the Lamb, without blemish, was slain. Before the foundation of the world. 
So we were conceived and born into the realm of the existence of the love of God. It takes a while to learn that. It takes a while to learn how to trust that. And learn to depend on it. Before we ever learn how to express it. And exhibit it. But speaking of that, learning how to express and exhibit the love of God. Obviously, it's something that's going to be demonstrated in, by, and through the actions of our lives. So what, what will the love of God do to change us, to alter us, to move us? Because, after all, love is one of the greatest motivations in the world. Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Let me show you three examples of how love will affect our daily lives. Three examples from Romans chapter 12, stuff we've already studied, stuff we've already learned about how love impacts, change, alters our daily lives within the body, and it'll do the same for everybody. But the qualifications, without dissimulation, within the body. That's where it's going to exist. That's where it's going to be learned and also exhibited. Love, love, the love that God is, one of the first things we learn about it is that it teaches us humility. Humility. Isn't that what Jesus exemplified? To the assembly in John chapter 13, those verses I didn't read, verses 1 through 11, we started in verse 12. After Jesus had washed their feet, He took His garment and then asked them, look, do you even understand what I just did? Humility. Love teaches us humility. Love impresses upon us humility before God. And after all, isn't that necessary? Because in order to be a good servant, an acceptable servant, an approved servant, isn't humility necessary in order to carry out the instructions provided by the Master? Oh, take my word for it. Don't just... Don't just don't just depend on the genius inside of you. Trust the Scripture. To the first assembly, Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. From master to servant. A servant must be humble to accept the instructions of the master. And then want to exemplify the name of the master, the identity of the master they serve. That is the responsibility. That's the undertaking. That's the goal. That's the pursuit of every disciple, every servant. Distinction between good and faithful, unpleasing, unfaithful. So where do we get that in Romans chapter 12? Well, let me just show you. Let me share with you. A servant learns to embrace and manifest an attitude of 
sacrifice for the glory of the Master. Let me say that again. A servant learns to embrace and manifest an attitude of sacrifice for the glory of the Master. Got it? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Cannot be done without the love of God. Cannot be pursued. Will not be pursued. Apart from the love for God. It's not phileo. It's not a strong, deep affection. It is agape. It is learning. It's based on the love, learning the love that God is. It will compel us. It will motivate us to be an obedient, humble servant who's willing to sacrifice for the good for the name, for the sake, for the glory of the Master. But not only will it do that, love teaches us as servants to learn to refuse and resist compromising the instructions and commands from the Master so that the name of the Master is clearly projected unto all those around us. Verse 2. Stop being conformed, pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, testify, openly display what is the, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. No compromise. No compromise with the world. No yielding to the world. Only sacrificing to the Lord. And the love of God teaches us, reinforces the truth of humility. Because Jesus said, the servant is not above his master. So if I can wash your feet, you can do anything for one another. You can do anything for, you can do the most menial of tasks without complaining, without griping, without suggesting from the genius inside, that's beneath me. It's not. The lowliest of tasks are not beneath us when we've learned the love of God. Verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, right-mindedly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I'm not better than anybody. It doesn't matter where my parking place is. I used to could say where my pew is, but it's now a, a chair. Doesn't matter where I sit. Doesn't matter how long I've been here. I'm not better than anybody. I'm a servant. 
You're a servant. We're all servants. We are in this together. By God's plan. By God's design. Sacrifice. Uncompromising. And humble. Just three things. Of the many. That we are to. Take a lifetime. To learn to pursue. And conform. To. Look with me please. As we conclude this morning. First John. First John. Chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Hebrews, James. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. Oh, by the way, John writes to a church. He writes to an assembly. It has to be that way has to be that way in order to keep the context of the New Testament consistent. But look what he writes. Two church people about church people for church people. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Some folks will tell you, well, they're lost. No. No. Case in point, Peter, do you love me? Peter? Agapeo. Yeah, Lord, phileo. No, it's not what I'm asking. An experiential knowledge. Do I know the love of God? Do I learn the love of God? Well, I can and I should. I'm under commandment to because God is love. There it is. Statement. Not speculation. Not supposition. Declaration. God is. Love. God's always been love. That's one of the immutable realities of God. So love is much more than a simple or a complex human emotion. Human emotions are temporary, highly unstable. Highly unstable. God is eternal and completely dependable. Completely dependable. No matter what He allows us to go through. No matter what He sees us through. He allowed the Jerusalem church to undergo undergo severe persecution so that all 7,000 plus members were dispersed because of physical persecution. Well, how could He do that? Because He loved them. He loved them. Well, if God loved... No, stop right there. There's no doubt God loves you. Well, how do you know? It says so right here. God is love. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus. God loved the world. You part of the world? God loves you. God loves you. Now, He may let you go through things, but that doesn't mean He doesn't love you. It actually may be more of a declaration of His love for you. To let us grow. To enable us to grow. And the understanding and the knowledge and experience of His love. So we can learn how to display that love. I don't know if any of those twelve 
when Jesus washed their feet. I don't, there's no record that they ever did that for one another, but I, I often wonder what would have the mindset have been for them to do that? The mindset of doing the basics. Matter of fact, speaking of basics, in the previous chapter, 1 John chapter 3, let's close with this verse, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word. Indication is word only. Neither in tongue. Not just in what we say. But in deed. And in truth. Love's more than just knowledge. Love changes our life. Changes it inwardly. So it can change it outwardly. It is to be learned. It is to be exercised within the assembly. So that God will be glorified. So that God will be glorified. How diligently are we learning the love of God? First, you've got to be exposed to it. It's right here. You've been exposed. You've been exposed to the Word of God. So how will you respond to it? How will you respond? Not what you plan to do tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Or sometime over the holidays when things slow down. Or after the holidays when they really slow down. Today, right now. How are you responding to the Lord?